Well, hey, welcome to the Learning to Lead podcast. Today I'm joined with some of our amazing Victory interns right here uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I'm gonna be sharing today about red flags in leadership. Um, I see this in, in every situation, whether it's a pastor or a coach or a teacher or whether it's a um, bank director or you know an owner of a company, uh, there's, there's always going to be someone who's in charge who has the potential to have some of these red flags. And what do you do? What do you do if that's you? What do you do if it's someone else and you see it? Um, how do you respond to that? How do you handle when you're under a leader that has a lot of red flags and you're trying to figure out, you know, should I talk to them about it? Should I leave the organization? Should I tell someone else that's uh, closer in relationship with that leader? What should I do when I'm finding myself in that place? And how do I know if it's a red flag or if it's just me being suspicious? If it's just me, you know, assuming the worst about someone or me uh, reading into something that may not really be there. So I want to give you 21 red flags uh, for leaders. And these come from experiences I've seen, experiences I've been through personally. Uh, growing up in the church, I remember many different times we would have someone who would be hired to be a youth pastor, a children's pastor, a missions director, um, to serve as an associate pastor in the church. And they would stay for a couple of years. Some stayed, you know, five, ten years. And over time, something would happen. Something would pop up or multiple things. And eventually there would be some sort of a transition. We see this in a lot of churches around the world, um, even right now, especially last year during like the Me Too movement, there was just so many leaders that were falling like flies because people were coming forward saying, this happened to me under this person's leadership. This happened under this leadership, whether it was in Hollywood or whether it was in the church or whether it was in a hospital ward. Like um, leaders have a high uh, uh, target, right? A high responsibility, a pretty weighty thing. They're in charge of people. And some leaders handle that weight really well um, and others handle it, you know, with red flags in their life. And so today we're going to talk about what are those red flags. Uh, the first one that I wrote down is when a leader wants to make his or her cause all about being the opposite of the place that he or she just left. Like if I remember meeting with this pastor who said, I came from this church and I hated it and I hated the culture and I hated, you know, the way that it was. And immediately I'm like, red flag, red flag, red flag, because all this person was talking about was the negative experiences of their past and how they were going to make the future the opposite of what they grew up in. Um, it's one thing to say, you know, there's some things that I want to do different, but it's another thing when your entire cause is wrapped around a negative mission, a, um, a negative offended attitude of, I wasn't treated well there, and so I'm going to go and start this here. That never works out well, you know. Absalom was kind of like that in the Bible. He didn't like the way his dad led Israel, David, and so he stirred up a rebellion. Hey, we're going to do things different. We're going to be the new generation. We're going to, you know, um, we're going to really take Israel into our best days yet, and we're going to do it better than our parents did. And it was led by rebellious sons and daughters, like broken kids who didn't have a healthy um, perspective on the pain they had walked through in their past. And a healthy leader can look back on a painful season and take the meat and spit out the bones. A healthy leader can say, yes, I was in an organization that wasn't perfect, but let's be honest, there are no perfect organizations. Yes, there was some mistreatment. Yes, it was painful. 
Yes, there were some toxic leadership personalities, but praise God, God worked in my life during that time. I have no, you know, um, offense. I've forgiven them. And my cause that I'm starting is not being started from a place of, I want to be the opposite of them. It's from a positive place of, I want to be more like Christ. I want to, I want to have a healthy culture where there's gratitude. But you notice, like, they're looking back at their past through a healthy lens instead of an offended lens. Um, so again, I think it's a red flag when a leader, uh, when their entire cause, their entire mission is to be the opposite of the place they came from. That means there's not been some dealt with feelings or attitudes there. Number two, when a leader slanders other leaders. I was just meeting with a pastor from Europe and um, he said, my father came to Europe like 15 years ago and preached in his country. I believe it was Norway. And he said, my father was in the green room when one of the pastors started talking in the green room um, about another pastor in a very negative way. Did you hear that he'd done this and said this and, you know, uh, made these mistakes? And immediately my dad said, you can stop talking or I will leave the room. You can stop talking about that pastor or I will leave the room if you're going to continue talking. And immediately everyone in the room was shocked that my dad said this in front of five or six people that he wasn't even close with, but he refused to stay in a conversation of slander. Um, he was protecting his heart. And the Bible teaches us that slander, number one, slander is like, it's not God's will. Ultimately, that's from the enemy. That's a demonic thing. And secondly, like, you're, you're literally assassinating someone's character that's not in the room. Um, if you're going to be a healthy leader, you can't be a slanderous person. If you're going to be a healthy leader, you can't talk bad about other people. So you might have some embarrassing information about another leader, about another person, another pastor. Just because you have that information doesn't mean it's okay to share that information. Just because you've um, heard some things from other people about a specific person doesn't mean when that name pops up, you know, the, the right thing to do is to share and expose those negative things about another leader. The best thing to do is keep our mouths shut if we don't have anything good to say. Number three, when a leader stops listening to wise counsel, and again, let's look inwardly first. You know, what What can I work on in me? Not what can I look in uh, that others aren't doing, but am I listening to wise counsel? Am I opening myself up to wisdom? There was a person in my life that was a, um, a very wise person, but he was not the most graceful person. So when he shared wisdom, he shared it with like a, an intense, um, non-gentle approach. And it really pushed me away from him. But over time, I realized, one, I was just too sensitive. Two, I needed this guy's wisdom. And me pushing him away from me was me limiting the wisdom that God was trying to bring in my life um, because it wasn't packaged the most, you know, colorful, sugar, sweet-filled way. You know, I'm looking for like a snicker bar um, of wisdom handed to me. And sometimes wisdom is broccoli. And sometimes wisdom is like the stuff you don't want to eat. And it's packaged in the way that you don't want to open because you're like, oh, it's nasty. It's mean. It's abrasive. And yet that wisdom is healthy for you. It's helpful for you. So when a leader stops listening to wise counsel, that's a red flag. Like we need wisdom in our life, whether it comes in the most, you know, sweet filled way or it comes sometimes in a very confrontational way. Number four, when a leader has no covering, when there is no authority over a leader, that is a very big red 
flag. I remember sitting down with Pastor Chris Hodges, the pastor of Highlands Church, and he said something that I'll never forget. He said, you know, Paul, it scares me when I see young pastors starting these massive movements, and I ask them, who's your covering? Who's over you? And they say, no one. I have a lot of people that speak into my life, but no, I don't have a covering. I'm all good. Like, I'm just out there. I'm doing my ministry. And um, he spoke to one specific example where uh, in another state, not in this state, but in another state, there was a young guy that started a movement about 15 years ago. Uh, This was back in like 2004. So I was like a senior in high school. I knew this person because he blew up. Like this was before Instagram. Uh, I think this is when Facebook and Twitter were coming around. And uh, this, this leader blew up. And like the movement that he started, it was a Christian movement, blew up tons of young adults, teenagers. It lasted about five years. And the guy ended up in prison, this young adult guy. And it was you know, people were asking, like, what happened? Because the the stuff that he got accused of and stuff he ended up getting convicted of, it was crazy. But it all came back to he had no covering. And part of the reason he had no covering is because he had a negative attitude towards his previous ministry that he had come from. And so his biggest thing was, I'm not going to be under them, and I'm not going to be under anyone, because they might try to limit the awesomeness that's inside of me. Again, like the narcissistic mindset says, I don't need a covering. And yet that is a major red flag. We need a covering um, as leaders in our life. None of us are exempt from uh, the authority that God wants to bring in our life. Number five, when a leader is hiding multiple things from multiple people and no one knows what's really going on in a leader's life. And again, look introspectively, does anyone know the real you? Like, does anyone know your life, your behind the scenes, the things you deal with, the things you're battling? Um, When a leader starts hiding multiple things from multiple people and no one really knows what's going on, that's a red flag. Uh, In my life, I have a few guys that are checking up on me that know everything there is to know about me. Even the stuff that I would like not want them to know about, they know it because I've opened up to them. And it required courage on my part. It required trust on my part. Again, healthy leaders have developed trust with a few individuals that they can open up and they have no secrets that's like, hey, this is everything that you need to know. And you don't need to say everything to everyone um, because I think that's that's probably a red flag when you're when you're opening all your behind the scenes to Instagram and, uh, and you have no like boundaries of relationships that know the, the real you, you just tell everyone. Um, I think you need to have some things that you don't tell everyone, you only tell a few people and those few people know and they're holding you accountable, they're checking up on you, um, they're people that pray for you, they're people you can trust. But when a leader doesn't have anyone in their life like that, and they're hiding everything from multiple people, that's a red flag. Number six, when a leader is too transparent and shares everything with everyone and divulges personal current battles that leave everyone questioning if they can trust the leader. That's a long one, but let me just say this. I have learned my lesson because I'm a transparent person. I'm very transparent, but I've had people come to me and say, hey, Paul, be careful how transparent you are uh, because not everything is meant to be shared with everyone. And so recognizing that there are certain things that just aren't meant to be shared. Um, 
You know, my mom told me this. She said, your dad was so uh, closed as a leader. Um, and he led our church for 38 years, right? He started when he was in his 20s and passed away at age 57. But um, my dad, he didn't share a whole lot with, with anyone, except for like my mom and like his closest friend and his assistant pastor. But over time, he started realizing that was unhealthy too. He needed to be more transparent. He needed to open up about some of the flaws and things he had learned. And, you know, I think he was afraid that his kids were going to judge him or other people would judge him or that, you know, we would remember the bad things and forget the good things. And so um, there was a moment where he started to share more and more and he started opening up. Hey, I didn't always figure it out right in my 30s, in my 20s. There was moments where I missed it, where your mom and I, we never fought in front of you, but we would fight behind closed doors. I didn't even know that they had had a fight because they never, like they wanted to appear at times perfect as parents, but it was unhealthy. They needed to share those moments with us as kids to say, hey, sometimes we don't get along. Sometimes we've disagreed with each other. We've learned to to work through it and to get along after a disagreement. Um, But when a leader is like sharing everything, and airing out dirty laundry about their family and their life, and it's like current. It's like, oh, man, we don't need to know all this. And uh, so there's been times where God's checked me on that and say, you know, don't share all that. Um, Number seven, when a leader becomes intoxicated with their own success, they think they're always right, and they're never wrong, and they're unstoppable. There is an unhealthy side of confidence that goes into narcissism, that goes into this, um, you know, I can do it without God mentality. I can do it without you. Um, I don't need anyone. I know what's right. Everyone else doesn't. I'm always right. Everyone else is wrong. Those kinds of leaders, obviously, um, there's a lot of red flags there, and and they're headed towards a crash. I share all these red flags to say, Um, Not that a leader needs to step down from their leadership position, but they need to have a conversation. Someone needs to talk to them. They They need to recognize this. And it all starts with looking inwardly first. Um, and not living in denial and saying, hey, there's some areas here where I need to really grow, and so I'm going to pull some close friends in my life to hold me accountable to grow in these areas so I don't keep going down this path. Um, But again, you know, we've all seen this. We've seen this happen even in our current culture where leaders are very, um, very intoxicated with themselves, and they have believed all the greatest things about themselves, and no one is telling them no anymore because no one can, because they think they're always right. And again, that's an unhealthy place to be. And if you're under a leader like this, I think one of the best things you can do is pray for that leader. Um, And I think also try to have a conversation with that leader in a very gentle way, because obviously they've pushed everyone else away from them. They think they're always right. So the best way to probably talk to them would be to come in a a gentle way and say, hey, it feels like... uh, it feels like you don't let anyone disagree with you. It feels like you've pushed us all away, and I, I'm here for you. I just want to help you, um, and I want to be a part of this, but it feels like you're pushing us all away from you. So, again, I think a conversation is the first step in prayer. Um, number uh, eight, when a leader is becoming negative on a constant basis with their language and their thoughts and their reactions. When there's a negativity around a leader— um, it affects everyone, right? It affects the whole 
uh, department. It affects the whole organization. Um, there was a person that I had to transition on a few years ago in our ministry that was an employee, and um, they were leading a small uh, area uh, in the ministry. And the reason we had to transition is because there had been multiple, multiple situations that led to this moment. And um, when I started like digging beneath the soil after this leader was gone, I started realizing their negativity had affected everyone that was underneath them and the language it was just a negative language it was just a you know glass is always half empty even if you had this much water there's well it's empty you know things aren't good we don't have enough resources they don't care about us no one's you know giving us what we need and uh the ministry we're the we're the stepchild they don't even treat us right and it's like that negative language starts filtering around and again it affects everyone and if our goal is to live the life God's called us to live, an abundant life, John 10, verse 10, I've come to give you life, life more enjoyably, life more abundantly, life with prosperity, life that is fun and fulfilling, um, then we have to look at that and go, this isn't God's will that I'm constantly negative, um, that I'm in a department where we can't ever feel positive about anything or anyone or any part of the ministry. Like if it's always negative, something's off. Let's make a change here. Um, number nine, when a leader stops showing up, when a leader is always gone, they're always gone. They're always sick. They're always on vacation. They're always gone. Where are they? Um, an organization cannot grow without a leader. Someone's going to step up and be a leader. So if the leader that's supposed to be the leader is not showing up, Someone, there, there's, a va like, there's a vacuum, there's an empty space. And at some point, someone's going to say, hey, I'll step up and be the leader since so-and-so's not here. Again, if you are the leader that's always gone, um, your organization needs you. They need you. And you need to make sure that you're making time to be in your organization on a regular basis, that you're not just showing up you know, once or twice a month uh, or when it's convenient, but showing up on a regular basis. Um, one of the things that, you know, my parents taught me at a young age is having a work ethic that I work hard, and then when it's time to play, I play hard, right? We're not going to not go on vacations, but we're not going to go on vacations every single week. We're going to show up and work, and then when it's time to play, we're going to play, and then we're going to get back to work. Because, listen, an organization cannot grow, a ministry can't grow, a church can't grow if the pastor's not there, if the leader's not showing up, and... Um, and so, you know, in our house, my dad, he never missed a Sunday. And one of the things he said later on, he said, you know, I was there all the time. I probably could have taken a few more vacations. So there is another side of this. The ditch is um, when you're always there and you're never taking time to rest. But I think right now in this, in this red flag that I'm addressing, if you're the person who's never there and it's just on occasion, don't expect things to get healthier or to grow if you're not showing up to lead. Number 10, when a leader stops dreaming or envisioning what the future could look like, we should never stop dreaming of a better future. Even if we've reached some goals, accomplished some vision, we should never lose our dreams. We should never lose the art of dreaming, the art of seeing a better future. Um, there's some dreams that I had um, as a kid that like got accomplished um, in my teenage years. And I remember having this one moment um, in my teenage years where I was like, I don't have a dream. Like I had all these dreams about, you know, going on mission trips, traveling to other nations, and it all happened. 
um, through my teenage years, and I was like, what's my next dream? And I really like cried and prayed. I was like, God, I want to have a dream again because I feel like I'm just living and I don't even know what I'm living for. I need a dream. Like, give me a dream. And God dropped a dream in my heart to record a, a, an album and start a band and travel and tour. And so we recorded that album. We traveled and we toured and we played for like, you know, small little venues of 20 people, 40 people. Um, but it was a dream, you know, and never despise your dream. Like, don't compare your dream to Billy Graham's dream or Oral Roberts' dream. Just have a dream. Have something that you're aiming for right now and this next season. Um, and it's okay if it's not like to save a billion people next year um, or to reach an entire nation in a day. You know, if your dream is, I just have a dream to go on a missions trip, great. Accomplish that dream. And once you do, get another dream. Get another dream. When a leader stops dreaming, when they stop envisioning a better future, they're in a red flag state. They've, they've stopped, they've really stopped chasing um, the vision that God has in front of them. And so I think we should always be hungry for more. Um, okay, number 11, when a leader loses their why, when a leader loses their why, how do you know when a leader has lost their why? When it becomes all about money, I'll stay here if you pay me this. It's all about a paycheck. Um, when a leader is only happy when they get their paycheck, when a leader is only happy when there's certain money um, that's being offered to them, when they have a certain salary, uh, when the location is convenient. I'll do this if I get to live in Florida. I'll do this if I get to live in the mountains of Colorado. Um, you know, <laughs> you know that someone has found their why when they are willing to live in Tulsa, Oklahoma with no mountains, no beaches, no oceans, and they are simply pursuing what God's asked them to do. So props to you guys. Y'all are, you are living your why. But, you know, I think like so many people, um, we're chasing things that aren't like purposeful. We're chasing, well, I want to live um, in Florida because it's hotter there. And because, you know, I want to live in Miami because I can be on the beach all the time. Like that's not a why. That's not a why. Like if that's, if that's your why right now, come back to a cause that's bigger than, um, you know, living on the ocean, living near the ocean or living in the mountains, have a cause that's like, hey, I believe I am part of this organization to help people see a greater um, picture of God. And God has called me to this city. I have a heart for these people. And this, I know it's not the most luxurious town. I know there's not mountains everywhere or rivers or oceans. But I'm like, think about Mother Teresa. She had a why. She lived in Calcutta right? She lived among lepers. And every day she woke up and served people that were hurting, that were dying, that were broken. She had found her why, you know? I think about Oral Roberts, who built this university across the street, my dad and mom. So many people come to my mind. Truett Cathy, he knew his why was to, to make Chick-fil-A and to make chicken and make it awesome. But Truett, what about beef? No, eat more chicken, you know, like he knew his why. He wasn't going to change the menu just because people told him or people would pay him more money if you do this. He knew his why. His why was that. So again, know your why and know that it's more important and bigger than a paycheck or a location. There's a depth to it. Number 12, when a leader is no longer happy with anything or anyone, when a leader is always disappointed, like no one ever, the things that used to make you happy no longer make you happy. When a leader has lost their happiness, it's a red flag. Again, it doesn't mean the leader needs to check into rehab. 
um, or needs to like step down from leadership, but the leader needs to have a, a true heart conviction to say, you know, who, who stole my joy? Like, why am I never happy? Why am I always disappointed? Like on a daily basis, why is disappointment always happening to me every day? I've got to stop blaming it on everyone else and see that something's off in my heart. There's a red flag in my heart. I've got to get my happiness back. I've got to get my joy back, right? I've got, to, I've got to come back to a place where I'm laughing again. I'm smiling again. I'm enjoying my life. I'm happy with people. I'm not acting disappointed with people or disappointed at my job or disappointed at my spouse or disappointed by God. Like, I'm happy. I'm at peace. I'm joyful. Um, okay, let's go to the next one. Number 13, when a leader gets easily offended and suspects that everyone is out to get them. When a leader is easily offended and suspects that everyone is out to get them. This is a red flag. Again, we're talking about warning signs when something is off in a leader's heart. Red flags when a leader needs to have a change of heart, a conversation. Um, if you are that person that you think everyone's out to get you, I've been there before, and I have had those same feelings. Usually it happens to people who've been betrayed or been hurt or been let down or surprise attacked by people that were close to them that were supposed to be there for them. Like I imagine Joseph in the Bible had to deal with this, right? Because he thought sharing his dream with his brothers was the greatest idea ever. Hey, guys, I got this dream from God. The next thing he knows his brothers, the ones that were supposed to be a part of his dream, um, you know, they throw him in a pit, try to kill him, end up selling him as a slave in Egypt. I imagine Joseph probably had some moments in his life, even when he was forgotten by the butler, um, when he was thrown down in the prison, he was accused by Potiphar's wife of trying to sleep with her and trying to attack her. And, and now he's, you know, living in this dungeon again. Joseph had been betrayed, surprise attacks, uh, forgotten. I imagine Joseph had some feelings on the inside of, is anyone else going to hurt me? Is everyone else, can I trust, can I trust you? Can I trust you? Um, and, and so when someone is in a place of thinking, man, everyone's out to get me, that's a red flag, right? Because I'm paranoid, I'm offended, I'm looking at everyone through the lens of, are you going to hurt me like someone else hurt me? <clears throat> and so we've got to come back to a place of forgiveness, forgiving whoever hurt us, and choosing to trust the people that are right in front of us, um, that they're not out to get us, that they truly are a friend, um, and believe the best about people. And that's not easy. That requires heart work. Heart work is hard work, right? Mm -hmm. I've got to look in my heart and go, why do I have a problem trusting the people that are right in front of me? Maybe it's because I'm still holding on to wounds from what people have done in my past. Lord, help me deal with that red flag. Number 14, when a leader stops growing spiritually in life, when a leader stops growing spiritually, when a leader no longer wants to grow, how do you know when this is happening? Um, you're not reading anymore. You're not listening to podcasts. You're not reading your Bible. You're not attending leadership conferences. You're not attending leadership courses or classes. People tell you about opportunities to grow. They say, hey, there's this free event happening down the road. Hey, there's this conference you should go to. Hey, you should check out this podcast. Hey, I just read this book. You should read it. And if you are going, nah, no thanks, no thanks, nope, I'm all good. That's when you've hit a rut on the inside. You no longer want to grow. You are so like exhausted, tired, full. You have no room to grow. You don't want to listen to any podcasts. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think this happens to leaders um, who have just gone through a life of, of opportunities, and they now take those opportunities for granted. They used to cherish those opportunities. They used to prepare for those opportunities. They used to read books and study and listen to podcasts. But over time, they just got tired. They got exhausted. And you can't blame some of those people because they worked hard to get to where they are. But if they don't keep on growing, if they stop growing, that at some point that organization is going to hit a lid, right? So if I want things to grow under me, I've got to keep pursuing growth. Even if I'm tired, even if I'm exhausted, I've got to keep pursuing personal growth as a leader. Number, number 15, when a leader has lost all their friends, when a leader has become isolated, there's no one left to be close to you. If you're in that place as a leader, uh, I want you to know that there are people that would love to be your friend. And there are people that are waiting for you to initiate a friendship, a hangout, a community, a connect group. I, I hate the phrase that you know I've heard before that says um, leadership is lonely at the top. It's lonely at the top as a leader. I firmly disagree with that phrase because I think the top is what you make it out to be. It doesn't have to be lonely. Like It's defined by the personality of the leader. If the personality of the leader is already a reclusive person and they just don't like people, then I'm sure it's pretty lonely at the top. But if the personality of that leader is, no, I love people. I need people. I need relationships. I don't want to be at the top of this mountain all by myself. I want to pull some people in. I think about how Jesus, he was the key leader, right? But the Bible specifically tells a moment where Jesus went to the top of the mountain and it doesn't say he was by himself. It says he brought Peter, James, and John with him to the top of the mountain. So again, a leader has the option to bring people with them to the top. Jesus could have said, hey, you know what? It's lonely at the top. It's just me and God. But he brought Peter, James, and John. And Peter was a little ridiculous because, you know, Peter sees Jesus having this revelation in Matthew 17. And Peter's like, hey, this is awesome. We should build some temples on this mountain. And Jesus is like, no, we got to come down from the mountain. We can't live up here. We got to go back down to the people. So again, um, isolation is a setup for destruction. We can't do life without relationships. We need people. No matter how great of a leader you are, you need friends. Number 16, when a leader is overly aggressive and defensive, like aggressive and defensive, um, you can feel it. You can feel it in the reactions. Um, there's just this intense aggression, and you're like, what's happening? Um, that should not become the normal. And if it has become the normal in your life, if you are constantly aggressive and defensive, um, like you're on edge, your blood pressure is too high, your stress levels are way too intense, come down to a place of peace. Come back to a place where you don't, you know, turn into this aggressive hulk um, in every situation. Um, and, you know, come back to a place of just being able to listen to conversations without, you know, thinking that you have to defend yourself or immediately turn into this aggressive person in that moment. Number 17, when a leader has become checked out, checked out, they're there, but they're not there. So I talked about earlier the red flag of when a leader is gone all the time. What about when a leader is there all the time, but they're not there? How many of you guys have seen that before? <laughs> How many of you guys have been there before? Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully you're not there right now. 
No, but it's true. Like, you know, there's times where I've been, um, you know, on a date night with Ashley and she's like, is anybody there? Are you there? Like, she'll start knocking on my head. I'm like, yes, I'm here. I just checked out for a moment, you know, because I start thinking about the church or thinking about other things. But what if that becomes a constant, you know, daily basis of living where you're always checked out? You're you're not you're there, but you're not there. Um, People feel that, you know, people see that. And if you're leading people in a room and you're sitting at the table and you're the leader and like they're talking and you're not listening or you're just kind of like looking at them, but you're out in space somewhere. You're thinking about a billion other things again. Like we got to check ourselves because you don't have to step down as a leader, but you need to ask yourself, why is it hard for me to pay attention? Why is it hard for me to be focused? Why am I here? But I'm not really here. Like, what is it that's causing me to space out Walter Mitty, right? Um, One of my favorite movies, but the life of Walter Mitty, like he's daydreaming all the time and finally gets to live his life with the daydreams that he had. But if you are a daydreamer, like come back and be present because one of the best things we can do in life is just be here, like be all here and not miss those moments that are right in front of us, even if they seem mundane. All right, number 18, when, um, when blaming has become the regular response for bad behavior, it's never my fault. You know, it's the lack of resources. It's this desk. It's uh, someone took my stapler. Um, they didn't give me enough money and they don't pay me enough. It's always someone else's fault uh, for the things that have gone wrong or the things that aren't right um, in your life or the way that you're acting. It's always someone else's fault. Number 19, when jealousy and envy become constant distractions. So you're comparing yourself on a daily basis to everyone else out there. You're looking at the other organizations. You're looking at the other churches. You're comparing yourself to other pastors. You're saying, well, if I was just like him, well, if I had what he had, well, if I could do what they could do, if I, if I had that, then things would be better. If comparison has taken over your mind and your heart, it's a red flag. Like you weren't born to live constantly in comparison. Uh, we weren't born to live. This is really what tripped up Saul, right? in the Bible is um, he looks over at David and recognizes David is getting all of this praise in Israel and immediately he's distracted and he spends the next 30 years wasting his time as king. Like he had a position. He didn't even have to like do anything. He could have just stayed in his position as king, but instead he spent his 30 years living in envy and jealousy and chasing um, a teenager. Um, So again, uh, we weren't born to live with that. Number 20, when the leader isn't the same at home or the office or with friends. So we've categorized our life. We live double lives, triple lives, quadruple lives. Um, I knew this person that it was really sad. They had um, developed a, a life and a family separate from their actual family. Um, and it came out. It all came crumbling down on this person. But they literally had been traveling to multiple cities doing ministry and um, started dating someone in another city, had children with that person, had a family with that person in, in like another city, had their actual family, their wife and their kids in their hometown, then had traveled other places and had girlfriends in other places and even kids with other girlfriends. So again, it was a really scary thing when it all came crumbling um, and the person realized like, well, one, how do you live like that and even have peace of mind? 
because you're thinking the whole time people are going to find out what if she finds out what if she finds out what if he you know they find out so there's this constant but you know the person obviously didn't didn't last long with that juggling of living multiple lives so if you're a leader and you aren't the same at home as you are um, in your ministry like come back to that place of integrity I'm going to be the same guy here that I am at home and I'm not going to have multiple categories of how I live my life my spiritual life should affect every part of my life, not just my Sunday morning attendance at church, not just when I'm around my Christian friends. I should be the same guy I am playing golf with my work buddies that I am when I'm with my wife, with my, with my kids, um, or when I'm at church. There shouldn't be like three different me's. There should be one me. All right, um, last one here, number 21. When the leader has lost their feelings, their passion, their attention when a leader is no longer in touch with those feelings. You know, I think about how um, when I battled depression after my father passed, there was a season where I had cried so much I stopped crying. And like, I literally just stopped crying. I had lost the ability to cry. Um, And so like, not only was I not crying, I wasn't laughing. I didn't have a belly laugh in like a long time. During that depression, I was losing my emotions. I was losing touch with feeling. I wasn't feeling anymore. I was numb. And I think this happens to leaders when they've been hurt or when they've been abandoned or when someone was close to them dies um, or leaves them, a divorce, whatever. You know, it's easy for a leader to lose touch with their emotions, their feelings, to turn off the tears, to turn off the laughter. And um, that's not healthy. It's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for the people you're leading. We need tears. You know, I love the Tim McGraw song. Um, I don't know why they say grown men don't cry. Because I cry. And I'm a grown man. I'm a grown boy. And I cry, you know. Um, But I think, like, real leaders should cry. Real leaders should laugh. Real leaders should be in touch with their emotions. There shouldn't be this, like, you know, stoic numbness. So, again, these are red flags to look at and say, is this happening to me? And Lord, help me to overcome this. Lord, help me to deal with this. Help me to grow from this so I don't stay in these red flags. All right, let's open up for conversation. Um, which one of these stands out to y'all? Uh, which one of these have you seen in your own life or seen in a season of your life from a leader? Um, how did you respond to it? Um, which one of these would you say, you know, expound a little more on this, Paul? What do you mean by this? For me, um It's funny because I kind of see parallels between when the leader has lost their feelings um, and then when a leader forgets their why. Mm. Because I feel like in one season of my life, I had honestly completely lost the perspective of the purpose that had been set before me. And as a result of that, I cut off my emotions. Mm. So I feel like we have to be incredibly intentional because when you have a why, your why can be accomplished. Your why is a goal that's already accomplished. You have to intentionally remind yourself not only of the base of why, but also continuously, um, I think, grasp more whys. Like, find whys within your environment, no matter where you are. Yeah. So you can be in a really low place, but you still need to find a why. And from that comes emotions and comes intentions. And I think um, you really develop your leadership skills as you adjust your perspective and continuously not only remind yourself of why, but find why in the lower places. So good. So a quick example of that, um, I was working at this camp in Maryland 
back in 2005. I was 19 years old, and I was tasked with the job of like mentoring 17 year olds. Oh, wow. And it was a really weird job. Yeah. Like, I was working at a camp called Camp Sunshine. It was a great camp. I know I'm not supposed to say names. Um, it was a great camp. Super, super awesome. Big plug for Camp Sunshine. But um, they, they paid us $2 an hour. Oh. We worked from 6 a.m. till 6 p.m. And the way they were legally able to do it was they gave us room and board for free. Wow. So, you know, we, we got to eat and live in our dorms for free. And two bucks an hour. So I was mentoring these teenagers, but then I was also tasked with cleaning toilets, sweeping the sidewalks, picking up trash in the forest. They had a massive forest, like 40 acre forest. And, um, and so they had sidewalks through the forest that I had to sweep with all this like, you know, wood bark that, you know, uh, uh, mulch that had gotten on the sidewalk. So I was like sweeping it and I had lost my cause. I had lost my why. Um, like I was just like, two bucks an hour. I need to go get a real job. This is not like, and it was becoming about money. It was becoming about location. I was like, I'm in Maryland, but I'm not even by the ocean. I'm in the middle of Maryland. I should be on the beach on the East coast. You know, I should go up to, um, you know, ocean city, you know? So I had all these thoughts and I, I came back to that, what you're saying, that moment where we had a worship night, um, as a camp, all the counselors, and um, there was a cross that they set at the front. And I went down to that cross and I said, God, give me a why again. And right. I'm in a low place. Like you said, mm-hmm. I'm in a low place. Help me to find a why in a low place. Right. And God opened my eyes. He said, this training, this is preparing you for the destiny I have for you. You sweeping these sidewalks, cleaning these toilets, sitting down with these teenagers, um, picking up trash in the forest is preparing you to be the pastor one day I've called you to be. So all of a sudden, like, I start cleaning toilets and sweeping sidewalks, and I'm dancing, I'm singing, and I'm, I'm hanging out with teenagers. And, like, I got my joy back, got my feeling, like you said, got, got my laughter back because I found that why. And I think it's also really neat, like, when you mentioned mundane seasons, because mm. I feel like in the routine, we lose our why. I'm almost even quicker than in a low point because you just get so used to, I have to be here at this time, do this thing at this time, and it just gets so routine. And then you're like, well, why am I even doing this anymore? Mm. So I think that that was really neat when you mentioned that and awakened something in me. That's good. That's good. That's good. How about you? So when I was in high school, I was under a youth leader that like anyone would want to be under. And something that he was really bad about was not having the, like, he was different with his family versus with us as, like, youth, and especially, like, us as youth leaders. And it ended up at the end of, like, my senior year, he was caught with a minor in our church. Mm. And whole ministry fell apart and left all of us just broken, if, to say the least. Just yeah. every youth member, and there's probably 120 of us, mm. just completely broken. And it left me just kind of wondering, like, is ministry real? Yeah. It left me just with, like, a lot of questions. And, I mean, I really didn't know where to even go after that because I was so broken just by what had happened and what I had been through, just being under an unhealthy leader. But there had been so many warning signs leading up to it. And it was just, it never got caught before they got out, if that makes sense. Yeah. It could have been stopped, but never was stopped. And one of the things that I shared during our Red Flag series was if you see smoke, don't yeah. wait for the fire. Yes. Um, you know, our family went through a house fire back in uh, when I was a little boy. 
And I'll never forget hearing my dad scream in the middle of the night, get out, get out, there's a fire, there's a fire. I didn't see any flames, but I saw smoke. And later on when my dad, you know, we all talked about it, he, all six of us were in the house. All six of us should have died in that fire, but all six of us lived. We got out of the fire. It was a miracle um, in the middle of the night, 2 a.m. in the morning in Tulsa, Oklahoma, one of the worst house fires that ever hit. But my dad said, you know, when I saw the smoke, immediately I started shouting. I didn't wait till there were flames. Yeah. I didn't wait till, and I think what you're saying is so good and important for anyone out there. If something seems off, like if something seems like, like you said, people saw warning signs, but it was too late. Um, you know, something we've talked about in our ministry before is um, how important it is to listen and to pay attention to those little warnings mm -hmm. that pop up and not wait until it reaches yeah. the flames. Um, but to, you know, immediately have a conversation, sit down with someone and say, hey, something seems off. What's going on? You know, I think it's really good. So coming through that positively, what could you learn from that? Well, a good one is just like when you see smoke, don't wait until you see the flames. Kind of like just what you're saying. Um, like it's shown me a lot of just don't ever let yourself get there. A, a big thing that I watched because I was so close to him and his wife, it was just like. <laughs> being able to watch where there was no one looking over him. So it was like he had a covering because he was obviously under a church, but there was no true covering. Mm -hmm. And so just for me to like always have accountability, to always yeah. go to someone, like if I'm struggling with something, just to go and just be open and vulnerable about it with yeah. someone that I truly trust, mm -hmm. is, I think would be the biggest thing that I learned out of that. That's really good. That's really good. Looking at these, there's so many I can say, oh, I've seen that in the leader I've been under. Oh, that one's just screaming out at me. But if I just had to pick the one that's like, this is you, and you really should probably fix it, is being too transparent. Because mm. I can get caught in that place as, man, I just love people, and I love talking, so it's not bad. I don't want to I want to be real. I yeah. just want to be real with people. Yeah. But yes. yeah, you being real for the people that don't really know you or know your heart, I think can open up a door of a perspective that's not real. For yeah. sure. And then that perspective on you for whatever you might be struggling with, they're like, oh, I can't trust them. I can never let them lead me because they're in no place. Mm. Or if you go to a person that really knows your heart, understands, hey, this, this is a problem, and I want to help you fix it, they're not going to look bad upon you because of, like, let's just get through it together. And so looking at that, like, I could probably, whether it be a family crisis going on or something to me that I'm just really struggling with that probably doesn't need to be out in the open. Yeah. Not because I want to hide it. But like yeah. you said, you know, we just want you to tell everybody. Go to those a few really close people that care that yeah let's get through it and finding those who are those people yeah that really i can trust and that want to go not just talk me through it because there's nothing that i think that gets my nerves worse if we're being honest it's like yeah you need to fix that go do that yeah it's like i want that another person it's like hey what can i do to help you get through yes this? let's walk through this together that's good so good you know i think about how jesus when he rose from the dead he didn't go and show his scars to everyone. He first revealed it only to his 12 disciples. And then, even with them, he wasn't as intimate until the second time in the Bible where Thomas, who had missed the first appearance of Jesus, said, I won't believe it until I see it. And Jesus shows up and walks up to Thomas and says, put your hands right here. Now, he didn't do that with everyone. Like Jesus was not that vulnerable and transparent with every person, just with Thomas. And I think about how, you know, am I showing my scarred hands uh, and possibly am I showing hands that are still bleeding? 
Yeah. Like, am, am I showing things that are still bleeding? Like, I don't want to show you my side where it's still bleeding um, until God's healing that side. Until until that that's no longer um, open wound. It's a scar. So I can say, hey, I've been through that. You're not alone. I'm relatable. I'm transparent. But I'm not transparent about... I'm going through that right now, you know, mm-hmm. and the blood's pouring out and they're like, oh, we don't know if we can trust you because you need to go to the hospital right, <laughs> right now and get like that stitched yeah. up right now. Um, so anyways, I think that's really good. Anyone else? Yeah? Yeah. Um, so you talked uh, about how um, your dad, Pastor Billy Joe, um, at the end of his life was kind of talking about, you know, oh, I wish I would have taken more vacations and breaks in life. Um, and it's been a common theme I've heard a lot just in the past month and everything. And so I was wondering, um, like, how can you, what's a good way, what are some examples to take a break without, like, uh, red flag number 15, without being isolated? Yes. You know, I I wish I could add one more red flag, and that is um, when a leader has not taken a vacation um, in a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just add that. That's a bonus red flag right there. Uh, Leaders need time off. Think about it. God took time off. God took time off after six days of work. He took a Sabbath. He instituted it. It says the Lord rested. He had done everything, and he saw this was good. And on the seventh day, he created a day of rest. When leaders get so, like, focused on doing everything, being everywhere, being there for everyone, you know, trying to be Superman, trying to be Jesus, um, they burn out. And so, yeah, coming back to your question— um, how, how often should a leader rest? I think a leader should have one day a week of rest. One day a week. Um, if God had it, we should have it. And not just leaders. I think everyone, not just pastors, everyone should have a day of rest, a day where you say, you know, I'm not going to go into work on this day. Um, I'm going to take some time to rest. I'm going to take some time to be refreshed, rejuvenated, sleep a little bit more. Um, maybe work in the garden a little bit, but not go in and do like actual work for money, like just things that rejuvenate you. So even saying work in the garden, that that could be work. But whatever it is that rejuvenates your soul, um, I think leaders need a day of rest. I would even say every few months, a leader should get away for a few days, a week if they can, um, or four or five days and be refreshed. And I don't think that should happen every one month or even every two months, but somewhere between three and four months, a leader should have a weekend where they're not, especially a pastor, they're not up to preach that weekend. Someone else is, and they can take some time to be refreshed, rest. So my wife and I, we instituted this like two years ago because my first two years as pastor, I was trying to be here for everyone, be here every weekend, do everything, be at every meeting, lead every meeting, and I was like just tired. And Pastor Chris Hodges came, and um, he like he was like, Paul, I love you. He's one of my mentors. He's someone who speaks into me and corrects me. He said, I love you, but you are way too young to look this exhausted. And I, I was like 29 years old, and I was like, he was trying to talk to me. And it was like 8.30 p.m. We're having dinner together, and I'm like falling asleep. He's like, you have one kid. He's like, you should not be this tired now that I have three kids. Um, I give myself a little bit more mercy when I'm tired at 8.30. But, you know, he was, ta- he was basically saying, you need to have space. Like, you need to have rest. And he, he started challenging me to do a sabbatical every year where I take um, a few weeks off in a row in the middle of the year. And the first time I did it, it felt very awkward. It felt undeserving. I felt like, 
we were going to lose church members. They were going to judge me for taking time off. Um, and it was amazing that, like, one, the church was just fine while I was gone. Um, there was no dip in attendance. There was no dip in our ministry's momentum. And the people who I thought were going to judge me didn't judge me. Uh, you know, they were like, hey, I think it's really good that you got away. And uh, everyone needs one day a week of rest, and then every few months, do something. Do something to refresh yourself. And then once a year, if you can. I just met with um, a couple recently, and they hadn't done anything together in a long time. And um, just in a place of really, like, uh, contemplating whether they wanted to stay together, stay married. And and I said, y'all need to get away. Y'all need to go do something together. Go have some fun. Like, Go, go on a little getaway um, and come to find out there's a lot of couples who missed their honeymoon um, because life was busy, the wife was pregnant, um, got married really fast, things, things were happening and just didn't have time or didn't have the money, couldn't afford it. And so time goes on and couples can go 20 years and not have a fun trip together. And now they are able to afford it, but because they're so busy and they've gotten used to not doing it, they've still never done it. So I think people need to do that. Well, y'all are amazing, and um, to all of our Learning to Lead podcast listeners, those that are watching on YouTube, we hope you've gotten something out of this. Let us know if one of these points spoke to you, stood out to you, and, uh, and what you're going to do. Let me wrap it up with this last thought here. If you are under someone who has some of these red flags, honor them. You never go wrong with honor. You never go wrong with honor, and secondly, pray for them. You never go wrong with prayer. Honor and prayer is two of the greatest things you can do for your leaders. Like, just love them, honor them, pray for them. And here's the third thing I'm going to say. Have a conversation. If you have a relationship with them, to have a conversation, do it. Do it. You won't regret it. Even if you get fired, it's worth the conversation. Think about Esther. Esther had to have a conversation with her husband, um, and her husband was the king. And she knew she was not allowed to go before the king unless she was invited. But she also knew something bad was coming. She could feel the smoke. She could feel the warning sign. The red flag was there in the country. And she said, if I perish, I perish. Um, but who's to know that I've come to the kingdom for such time as this? She went and had a private conversation with the king. So I would say, do not air it on Facebook. Do not talk about your leader on Instagram. Don't post their red flag on this YouTube channel. Um, don't say their name and their organization, their ministry. Like, go have a private conversation and say, hey, feels like something's off and this is kind of what I'm sensing is everything okay and if they say yeah everything's good then good leave it between them and God if they say hey everything's not good you're right you're picking up on something then your job then is to pray for them and ask the question that you heard today is there something I can do for you how can I help you to walk walk through this and to see victory in this area so you're not still living with this red flag in your heart in your life all right we love you so much we're praying for you God bless you. Much love.